Our challenge this year is, is in that same vein. What if we begin to think outside of ourselves and said, what if this season was about giving, was less about what I received or how we gave kind of financial, consumer-driven gifts to each other, but instead we decided that we were going to give relationally to each other and we were going to give life, literally life, to someone who didn't have it, hope to someone who didn't have it. This year, our heartbeat with the Advent Conspiracy is to partner with Westminster Prez in Lubbock. It's a church that we, that you actually, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, you heard Matt get up here. Matt was my buddy that came. It's where he's a mission pastor over there, and we partnered with him to go to Guatemala and Africa. We're partnering with them again um, with uh, Keith and Kelly Rogers, which are our missionary friends in Nicaragua, and an organization called Teeth Savers International. Teeth Savers is a global ministry that goes into impoverished countries and teaches families and children how to take care of their teeth because I mean it sounds like you know hey well that's not that big a deal when we can do something like water but an infection in the teeth literally will kill people and so this organization goes in and they do free dental care and free training and they train hygienists in their own area to be able to take care of the teeth and provide no cost fillings to children in impoverished countries they are partnering Keith and Kelly Rogers our friends are partnering with teeth savers to fund a dental clinic in Nicaragua where they're missionaries and we have the opportunity to go in and for $5,000 fund this clinic for an entire year. That we can fund, not only staff it with a hygienist, but train Nicaraguans to be able to provide these low-cost fillings and teach families how to take care of their teeth so that children literally will live. All for the cost of $5,000, we can do that. So our partnership this year is to try and raise that money so that we as a community can give life, can fund this dental clinic and give life to impoverished, poor Nicaraguan children. At our offering table and at our mission table, you'll see a whole bunch of information. There's little handouts that's got a front side that talks all about the Advent Conspiracy and talks all about Teeth Savers and Keith and Kelly Rogers and their heartbeat and, and uh, gives you a bunch of websites you can look at. But our, our passion is this, one less gift. We want every family to say, what if we gave one less gift? Not out of our abundance, not after we've shopped our $1,000 worth or our $200 or our $10,000, whatever it is. Not out of the abundance. But what if we decided not to give gifts to each other, but instead to spend time together, to bake cookies, to have a family game night, to pull out the old advent calendar that we had when we were kids and put little things in there in the little pockets or the little windows and open one up each night and do that together as a family. So instead of these gifts... We would spend time and we'd take that money then and we'd give it away. What if we thought differently about that? Our family is, is, is invested in this as well. I and mean, cho we choose not to give gifts to our extended family. Instead, we give to these things. And we have pulled out a whole new little advent calendar. We got it last year, little windows on the tree. We pull it out and the kids get real excited. And it's like, you know, hug dad. That's a big gift. And so, or, you know, plague sorry or whatever. And we try to rethink how we can live relationally during these crazy, busy holidays. That is the heartbeat of the Advent Conspiracy. The heart of the Advent Conspiracy is, is to reject what this society, or society is pushing on us with this consumer-driven celebration of Christ's birth and instead said we want to give relationally and we want to give life. And the four kind of principles that we're going to be exploring starting with today are, are worship fully, um, spend less, give more, and love all. And we're going to be exploring these over the next 
four weeks together. But if you'd like to give to this cause, if you'd like to help us fund this dental clinic, all you have to do is write your check out to the Vine or write Advent Conspiracy in the memo line. And uh, over the spring, we'll be, uh, we'll be documenting the pictures as it goes up and, and showing what our community was able to, to partner with a global mindset and, and actually do. So you'll be hearing a lot more about this over the uh, next three three weeks. But today, we're starting with this idea of, of worship fully. And you know, I really thought long and hard about how we are going to explore this, because if you have been with us for the past year, we've talked a lot about worship. I mean, one of our values as a community is to be worship-driven. We're worship-driven, community-minded, missionally focused. We preached through all those things a little bit less than a year ago. So we've talked a lot about what it means to be worship-driven. And then in, in our What I Believe series, we even unpacked worship even more and talked about what worship is and what worship's not. And I thought we've done that a lot. So I really started wrestling with how we would begin to unpack this picture during the Advent season. I mean, we could talk about worship and what it is and what it's not and how we're called to fully engage, or, or maybe we could do something a little different. And so I thought this morning we would explore this little bit different side. And we'd instead open up our Bibles and see how worship really began with Jesus. That we'd take a look at a passage of Scripture that really only comes out on Christmas Eve or when kids have Christmas pageants and unpack it and see just how worship began when Christ showed up some 2,000 years ago. Because after all, this story that we're going to explore today is about as radical as Jesus Christ himself. And the incarnation, which is that fancy word that means God becoming flesh, that God becoming this infant Jesus, the incarnation is as radical a groundbreaking explosion of heaven as we will ever see. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to flip there or find it. And we're going to explore the birth story of Christ a little bit together this morning as we try and unpack how we as a community house, we as individuals, might be able to truly worship fully over the next four weeks. Before we get there, as you're thumbing through it, let's go ahead and just pray together. God, we confess, or at least I confess, I won't confess for everybody else, I confess, God, that this season, although wonderful, can be stressful. It can be stressful as, as Meredith and I even think about how we are going to provide gifts for our own kids and what that means for us and the parties or the things or the activities and the things that have to happen over the next four weeks that, God, we get wrapped up in it. That even thinking about going to the mall creates an unbelievable amount of anxiety in me. Um, and that, Lord, I so often transplant the birth of Christ for my own celebration. But God, I pray that as we begin to unpack these things over the next four weeks, that you would shift and alter the way that we think about Christmas. That you would shift and alter the way that we think about Advent. That this truly is the birth of Christ, the celebration of the birth of the Savior of the world. We might find great life in the little things. That we might invest relationally and give life and worship at every corner and at every turn. Take a moment in your own heart and just find some stillness in between Thanksgiving and Christmas in your heart. And just ask God to begin to reorient you. Just ask God to begin to reorient you this morning. And take just a moment and just whisper a prayer, even if you're not a prayer, just, just something under your breath, in your heart, for the people around you.
Just whisper that God would move in their hearts this morning. God, we love you and are grateful for what you've done for us. We're grateful that you broke into humanity to rescue and save us through the person of Jesus Christ. That God, our worship today might be driven by a God who broke into our lives to give us life. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I actually love this story, but I don't know why, and I mentioned this earlier, but it's a story that we reserve literally during the year for that Christmas Eve kind of service or that children's pageant. It's a story of, of the angel of the Lord appearing to the shepherds, announcing the coming of Christ, announcing the birth of Jesus. And it's, it's a text that we don't pay a lot of attention to until right about now or really, really right, right before Christmas. And, and we celebrate it and we hear it and we read it. And so for some of us, this might feel a little bit out of place. It might feel like we're still in November. We can't be reading about the shepherds and the magi and these people. That comes on December 24th. And the kids dress up. And that's where that kind of fits in the compartments of my mind. So I'm going to challenge you to think a little bit differently. And maybe that as we embark in this text today, it will change and alter how we see the next 28 days as we approach and look towards with anticipation towards Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men whom who, on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, there's... I'm not, I don't want to over-preach or over-teach this text, so let, I just want to kind of take a look at it, because it is as radical as Jesus Christ himself. I mean, this is the incarnation, the inbreaking of heaven in earth. This is not some sort of feel-good story. This is a radical collision of all that is holy with sinful world. I mean, this is God's inbreaking into our life, and it comes in the most unexpected of ways. I mean, here you have these shepherds living out in the fields, not just there for the evening or for the day. They literally were living in the fields because that was their entire life. 
And it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. I mean, I love the picture that God announces the arrival of the Savior of the world to a bunch of shepherds, to a bunch of people that really don't matter for all practical purposes. They weren't of royalty. God didn't show up to to Herod in this amazing way. They weren't of some kind of majestic background. They weren't of noble birth. They were people that watched sheep. In the middle of the night, God shows up in all of his glory to this group of somewhat outcasts. I mean, we know people didn't think very highly of shepherds. I mean, you remember the story when when Samuel went looking for the next king of Israel who he was going to anoint over, literally over Saul to become the next king of Israel and he found himself at Jesse's house? And they parade all these strapping young men, tall and handsome, and, and the order of these seven sons. And Samuel's going down, going, not him, not him, not him. He gets to the end and he says, God hasn't chosen any of these guys. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, well, yeah, I've got the one. I mean, he's the youngest and he's out tending sheep. He was a shepherd. Because he was the youngest and no one paid attention to him. So sure enough, they bring him in and what, that turns out to be David who is going to be the king of all Israel. But people didn't think highly of shepherds. They, they were just people that spent all their time with a bunch of animals. Yet here's God, the God of the universe, the God that made the stars and the trees and that knit you together in your mother's womb, that announces the arrival of the, arrival of the Savior of the world to a bunch of shepherds in the Middle Eastern desert in the night sky. And it says that as this angel of the Lord, the glory of the Lord shone all around him. I mean, we are talking, when we talk about the glory of the Lord, we are not talking about a gentle light. We are talking about the same light that knocked Saul to his face in front of God as he was on the road to Damascus. You remember? Saul's going down to Damascus to persecute Christians, and it says that this light exploded in front of him. And literally, he goes blind. And Saul goes, who is it, Lord? And he says, it's Jesus who you're persecuting. This is the same glory of the Lord that Moses couldn't look upon, and when he turned his back, he just his back came to the glory of God, his hair went stark white. We are talking about the glory of the Lord. It's not as if you've emerged from some kind of cold morning into the sun and you get goosebumps kind of light. I mean, this is light up the sky in this majestic kind of way, glory of God showing up. And, the, and these shepherds are terrified it says they were terrified the glory of the lord shone all around them now you would be freaked out too i mean i would for sure i mean they've never seen anything like this they've been out in the wilderness most of their lives they've seen all kinds of things from bears to lions to who knows but they've never seen anything like this an angel of the lord appears with all the glory of the lord and they are terrified And so often in scripture, we see people, when they come face to face with the glory of God, they're awestruck on their face and absolutely petrified because God is majestic and wondrous and holy. Yet this is how the God of the universe chose to have his birth announcement of his son. In the middle of the the Middle Eastern night sky in the desert to this group of shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, right? I bring you good news. And he tells them about tonight a Savior has been born in the town of David. He is the Christ, the Lord. The angel says, 
you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then verse 13 says, suddenly, suddenly, a host of angels appeared praising God and saying, it's almost as if when the angel of the Lord, with all of God's glory around, said, and here is the sign, you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in the feeding trough of a bunch of angels, suddenly, as if things weren't out of control enough, a great company of angels appears and begins to praise God. Now, I know what a great company looks like to me. We had it over Thanksgiving. It was like 12 people. But I'm guessing that a great company to God is thousands upon thousands. I mean, if at the, God's fingertips, he has access to, to everything, legions and legions and companies of angels. This was an unbelievable thing. At the moment that angel of the Lord says, you will find this child wrapped into a manger, suddenly the place explodes with a great company. Not the, the Christmas pageant you saw where like the three kind of people come floating down from the ceiling, but we're talking about, you know, thousands of angels. And in unison, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men in whom his favor rests. I mean, the concert of all concert breaks out to this group of shepherds. I mean, can you imagine? You can't. I can't either. But just think about it. Try and wrap your mind around it. This is where worship begins with Christ. It begins in the middle of the desert with a bunch of shepherds and a great company of angels praising God, giving the concert of concerts. Over what? Over an infant wrapped in clothes, lying in a feeding trough of a donkey. I mean, how radical is this story? I mean, how amazing. This is how God chooses to announce his arrival. So it says, verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord's tell us about. So the angels leave, and you can just imagine what these shepherds, and who knows how many there were. Maybe there were two, maybe there were ten. They were all there. But they were going, we've got to go. Which is an amazing thing, because shepherds didn't ever leave their sheep. The only way they left their sheep was if they were guiding them in the town, and they took them into a pen. Shepherds, an entire life of a shepherd was built around caring for and chasing after sheep. You didn't leave them alone to go into town. Yet the shepherds were so struck by what just, been, what just happened that they left their sheep and they hurried into town. I love that word, hurried. Because, I mean, can you imagine what's wrapped up in that? I mean, I don't know these guys are like, hey, you know, I bet they were like dead sprint to try and figure out what's going on. I mean... This thing they've just seen is unexplainable. So they hurried into town and found it just as the angel had said, Mary and Joseph and this baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning all that had been told about the child, and everyone was amazed. So when they saw this infant, just like it had been proclaimed with this great company of angels praising God, praising God, they went around in the middle of that night and they told everybody. And everyone was amazed. I mean, this, this was an unbelievable thing. It was the anticipation of the Messiah, the Savior. Then it says that as the shepherds returned, they glorified and praised God for all the things they had seen and heard. So as the shepherds return, their lives are radically altered. 
They were returning, praising God. You can almost get the sense of this sort of high-fiving, unbelievable thing. This angel, these company of angels, this, these songs, the people we told, everyone's so excited. I mean, this is unbelievable. And they were praising and celebrating God with everything that they were changed and transformed. This picture of Jesus is what we call the incarnation. It is the inbreaking of God into the world. It is God made flesh. It is a radical collision between all that is holy and this sinful world. It does not take place in sort of this easy kind of Christmas environment that we create where we put lights on things and everybody holds hands and sings together. What we're experiencing here is something absolutely radical where heaven explodes onto earth. It was almost as if this company of angels could not be held back. That when the one that came to announce the birth of Christ said Jesus was born, this great company explodes through the sky and heaven explodes. This explosion of worship is a picture of what's taking place. This radical inbreaking of Christ into our world. It's not a kumbaya Christmas. It is a radical thing that transforms lives of everyone that hears. The people, Mary and Joseph for sure, and these shepherds. I mean, this story is as radical as Christ himself, right? I mean, this is Jesus, who we know later in his life would spend the majority of his time with, with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors who would say some of the most radical, outlandish statements that would turn all of our thinking completely and totally upside down. It just seems so fitting that the Christ that we claim to follow, who is such a radical God, would have a radical inbreaking into earth. And it's fitting that, that the God of the universe would choose to make his announcements, not with trumpets in a parade, like royalty, but in the Middle Eastern night sky to a bunch of outcast people that nobody focused on or spent time with. And that those that carried the birth announcement of Jesus were people that spent their time with sheep. You know, worshiping fully is much more than just about gathering on these four Sundays of Advent and singing songs that we really like that remind us of how we were brought up. Worshiping fully is about this incarnational kind of thinking that says, what if the, the infant Christ broke into my life in such a radical way that it transformed everything about me, that it penetrated everything that I do, that the way that I approached life and this season and people and the world was almost with the same explosion that came from heaven. It was that big a deal. You know, this season, this Christmas, you're going to be faced with all kinds of decisions. Decisions on how to spend your money. Decisions on where to spend your time. Decisions on how to spend and how to think about people. Decisions on how to react to that lady in the parking lot that steals your spot. I mean, we're going to be faced with all kinds of things. Worshiping fully begins by saying, God, how does the inbreaking of your son change my life? How does it change my way of thinking, my way of acting? I mean, like the shepherds who dropped everything to find this Christ. Maybe you and I could, could drop some of those things that we're so accustomed to, the, the lists, the to-dos, the stress, 
and stand with this wide-eyed wonder at the majesty of God and realize that to celebrate the birth of Christ is more about giving life because life was given to us. Then maybe we need to recategorize in our mind how we think about the next few weeks to begin to shape how we see the world. You see, this is where the Advent conspiracy begins. It begins by saying, what if we started a movement to rethink? What if we captured the passion and the worship and the energy that must have taken place some 2,000 years ago in the middle of that Middle Eastern night sky? We captured that passion and we said, this is a driving force of my life. God, I want to worship you fully and not just on Sunday and not just Christmas Eve with a little carol sing when all the shopping is over. But right now, today, as I begin to just think about pulling stuff out of the attic for Christmas, that you would shape and change the way that I think. That you would take over my heart and that I might worship you in a way that is holistic, in a way that is fully alive. Because what took place 2,000 years ago was the most radical event in all of human history. God became flesh. This is where we begin as we worship fully. Take a look at this video. As the holidays draw near, you can almost feel this sense of dread in people when the first Christmas retail things begin to roll out in the